Welcome to episode 40 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined in studio by my good friend, my co-host, my colleague, and the man who loves his dirt, Mm -hmm. John Scott Sloat. Our podcast is over the hill. Wow. Do you realize that? I... Because this is episode 40? Yeah, is 40 still over the hill? Um, well, you're asking a man who is 47 years old, so that might color my response. No, no, no. In podcast terms, not human terms, you're clearly not over the hill. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know what the what the terms are for a podcast okay. in terms of 40 episodes. We're coming up on a year. Yeah, I, I did not envision us going weekly, but it just kind of happened. Yeah, well, it was a good distraction in the midst of COVID. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No <laughs> kidding. So if you would like to connect with us on Twitter, you can find the podcast at V&SPod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on our Facebook page as well. And while I'm thinking of this, next episode, we are going to be interviewing the one, the only, John Sloat. Oh. So if you have a question that you would like John Sloat specifically to answer, you can connect with us via one of those uh, means, and I will consider that. Now, no guarantee that I'll ask it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not guaranteeing it. But if you've got a specific question you would like me to ask, John Sloat in our interview episode, next episode, hit me up, hit us up on uh, on one of the social media venues, or you can email us. And, and the episode following that, if I'm remembering correctly from our schedule, we're interviewing you. Yes. Or, and by we, I mean I yes. am interviewing you. Yes. So the same is true for if you have a question for Matt Harmon. Yeah. Dr. Matthew Harmon, PhD. Yeah. If yeah. you have a question for him, send it my way. Yeah. And I'd be happy to consider asking it. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. So um, now you as our listeners, you've been doing a great job of downloading the podcast. And we assume listening. Uh, we assume you're not just downloading f- and then not listening. So I'm convinced my mom's doing that. She's yeah. just downloading She's, it seven she, and eight times to make me yeah, feel good. Okay. Yeah. Going to you know public computers in the library mm-hmm. and <laughs> – <laughs> Making it the background, those sorts okay. of things. Yeah. Okay. Um, but we have not had a review of the of the show in over – I think we're pro- approaching a month now. Mm-hmm. And um, friends, brothers and sisters, this is not right. <laughs> we, we need you. We, we need someone to step up to the plate this week who's not left a review and a five-star rating on the podcast app. And so um, – On the Apple podcast app. Yeah. 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 Uh, is there, are there other places people can leave reviews and I think and I think Stitcher, ratings? there can be a review. I've not checked that. Have you? Um, not in a long time. OK. Uh, but you can do Stitcher um, and uh, I think Spotify you might be able to leave a review. I don't know. It's been forever checked. since I've been on Spotify. So um, there are some options there. Uh, and hopefully – and I'll make the promise on the pod so I get it done in real life. We'll be on – Amazon Music soon, which just launched into podcasts in the last yeah, few weeks. You're our tech guy. You got to get into that and figure out. We need out, to get on Amazon. Figure or, out how that yeah, works. Amazon Music. Yeah, you've. 
I, I think I've heard of Amazon. It's that small little company that sells mm-hmm. – is it books primarily? The little engine that could, Amazon.com. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll have to learn a little bit more about that. In any case, uh, let's kick things off with our sports update. Um, Lakers up 2-1 on the heat. Yeah. Thoughts, and, reflections. Well, um, I think most people thought the series was over after game two. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seemed like that was a reasonable conclusion. But apparently Jimmy Butler had a different idea in mind. Mm-hmm. Big night from him. We're recording on a Monday. So last night, uh, Jimmy Butler dropped a 40-point triple-double to yeah. get – uh, the Heat back into the series. So Lakers up two games to one. And uh, probably more significantly to us, it was the week uh, week four. Is that right? Week four? Did I have that wrong on my notes? I think it's week four now of the NFL. No, I think Because aren't the – yeah, I think the Browns are three and one. Yeah, I so think I think it's week right. four. I think you're right. In any case, uh, so your beloved Jets on Thursday Played on night, Thursday night, Thursday played night the football, Broncos. And they were actually competitive. Which was fun to watch. Sam Darnold go Michael Vick in the first quarter there. Yeah. Um, dodging and juking. I got probably four or five texts about that. <laughs> Single, singular moment. Um, yeah. Um, my, my app is showing it's week th- – no, you're right. Week four. It was week four. So, so here's my question. Yes. Um, when when you're watching the Jets, I've seen you watch a Jets game. Yeah, you're you're reasonably animated. You're not like mm-hmm. out of control, fanatically animated. But during big moments, you're you're animated. How does Andrea respond to this? Because um, she's not a sports person. She's not. No, she goes upstairs or takes a nap or <laughs> doing other things usually while while I'm while I'm doing that. She she'll she'll sit by me while I watch baseball, uh, mostly because I think baseball is great background noise yeah. to, to doing other things. Yeah. Football doesn't really provide that. You kind of got to be all in, um, particularly with your team. Sure. Basketball, similarly, you got to be all in. Um, and so she usually goes upstairs or goes for a run or does, does something else during that time. Okay. Okay. And um, and is reasonably alarmed, I think, okay. when, when, when I go when – I, when I do go crazy, I get to look like, what have yeah. I done? Right. You know, <laughs> that, that's sort of the look I've gotten. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> – um, so we're we're four games into the season. Jets are zero and four. Yeah. How many wins do you think the Jets will finish with? Because before the season, you were hoping that maybe they could get to eight and eight. Yeah, eight and eight. Now, so last season they ended the season six and two, right? Um, which blew any chance we had a a great draft. Although we got the Mountain Man. Um, yeah. And by that, I mean not like a burly strongman, but he's literally the size of a mountain. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's all looking about the fu- looking to the future right now, wondering who the next coach is going to be. That, that's what we're thinking through. Um, waiting to see how long it takes him to get fired. Like I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is his second year, correct? Or third? Gase. This is his second year. Okay. Um, and he, but he was at Miami for a number of years and had, did terrible at, at Miami. Um, the only reason he keeps getting a job is because Peyton Manning liked him yeah. when he was with the Broncos. Um, and, uh, and he, it's just been a train wreck. He doesn't have good people skills. He doesn't yeah. do well with the media. He's got some crazy eyes. Um, and, and 
everybody keeps calling him an offensive genius, even though his team is 25th in the league in offense, sure. right? which is the definition of a not a genius. Right. right? Yeah. So um, think about this. So if I if I set the over-under on Jets wins this year. Yeah, I suppose I didn't answer the question there, did at, I? Um, at three and a half. Would you go over or under? Will they win less, three or less, or four or more? And they're zero and four right now. Mm-hmm. I think three or less. Okay. I think they might pull off one against Miami, but I think Miami and Buffalo are probably better than we expected them to be. Yeah, at least Buffalo is. Yeah, and I, I don't know the full schedule. I don't know who all they're playing, but gotcha. I would I would say under. I would say three or under okay. would be my un, – un, under three and a half. Gotcha. And I think there's a good chance they tie a game in there. <laughs> that would make sense, yes. Um, I'd say the other big – well, the big NFL story was you had a game canceled this past weekend because of COVID. It Titans, was Titans right? and – not Vikings. Titans and somebody. Titans and somebody. Steelers. Wasn't it yes, Titans, yes, Steelers? Yes, that sounds right. Yep. And then you had another game that was pushed – to tonight, Monday night, so we're mm-hmm. recording on Monday, um, and that was Patriots-Chiefs got yeah, pushed right. back a day, and Cam Newton tested positive, so I'm assuming that means he will not be playing tonight. Um, so now you're finally getting to see some of what was inevitable in these sure. in this day and age. Uh, now, when it comes to college football, I, I think we also saw some interesting things happen this weekend. Um, I, I'm not going to say that I'm sad to sit, to see Oklahoma lose again. Yeah, what's um, going on in Oklahoma? Well, um, you know, we have a listener, Chris in Indiana, who is a huge Oklahoma fan. So mm-hmm. um, I'm sure he would be able to give a, a dissertation length explanation of yeah, – We don't have that kind of time. No, though. or yeah. interest quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, there, I think their their new quarterback is not everything that they thought he was going to be. Um, and despite the uh, attempt to fix their defense, their defense is still not good. But that's kind of being redundant when you say Big 12 because there are really the no, defenses no good are defenses bad. in the yeah. Big 12. Also, speaking of the Big 12, Texas lost to TCU. That was a big upset. Man. So it wasn't sad to see that. Um, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, all looking uh, pretty strong. All looking as you would expect them to. Yeah. yeah. And we are still uh, three weeks away from Ohio State taking the field for the first time. So hmm. we'll see how that how that turns out. And then Major League Baseball playoffs were at the division series level. And as you said before the pod. Yeah, my team's out. I, I have very little interest. Yeah, me either. So I think we can move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have no interest in the – I mean, I, I do like – I do tend to like playoff baseball, but part of the reason I like playoff baseball is because of the atmosphere, right? The the crowds are going crazy, yeah. the every you know the big stakes of the game, you know, like those sorts of things. And when there's not you know forty thousand people in the stands waving towels and making lots of noise, and it's you know bottom of the seventh and the bases are loaded in a you know in a tight game, like the drama is what attracts me. You remove the crowd from that, and I'm kind of like, eh. Yeah, not that not not as attracted to it. It's got to be hard to call that game because anytime I hear Joe Buck call the World Series, I always think, oh, he's really feeding off the crowd's energy. Yeah, and what's it going to be like to call 
a uh, World Series game four with no one in the stands. It's going to feel like a Sunday night game in the middle yeah. of or in the middle of uh, July or something. Well, and some of those playoff games, I know the broadcast crews were calling them from the studio. Mm-hmm. And so I remember seeing one moment, I forget which game it was, where the announcers couldn't tell if a ball was fair or foul because they were watching the same feed that, you know, the audience, sure. the, the television audience is. And it's like, you know, so there was that hesitation. It just felt awkward. You know, if you're in the stadium, you're not relying on the monitor. You're seeing it unfold live and you can see the the umpire immediately signal fair ball or foul and that kind of thing. And I think that's that's another piece of it too is you've got some of these – I'm sure for the World Series that Joe Buck will probably travel He'll to. He'll probably go there, yeah. Uh, but it's to the – it'll be to one of the bubbles or will yeah, that be – Yeah, I think be? they have a couple bubbles going on. Okay. Um, one thing that the uh, the Mets announcers, they, they broadcast all the games from home. And so they'd be in the stadium, in their booth, watching the game on the monitor. And then they said that anytime the ball was hit or anytime a play was happening, they instinctively look at the field to, to yeah. see what is happening. And it was just if, – if it was at night, it was just utter blackness. Yeah. Now, um, actually, I want to circle back to something about college football. Did you see – any shots of the crowd at the Georgia-Auburn game? I did not, no. Now, Georgia had over 20,000 people in that stadium. What is, and, that? What is that, a third? Uh, that's probably a fourth. A fourth? Is okay. my guess. But um, it, what was striking was you, you, you were hard-pressed to see anybody in a mask. There was no social distancing. And, you know, social media was kind of getting worked up about this in terms of, you know, there, there were the – we're concerned about health people. Mm-hmm. And then there were the um, the people who were like, uh, well, what an unfair advantage that is for, for yeah. Georgia when other schools aren't going to have that many fans and, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, I'm, it, it will be curious to see if the SEC does anything to kind of, you know, come down on them for that. Uh, for not follow because that was not what the SEC protocols were supposed to be. So now, does the SEC put that out, or do they go follow your state directive, or how how does that work? Well, I think it's, I think it's a mixture of both because okay. I think that there are certainly, I mean, they can't supersede the state. I don't think they can supersede the state mandates. Maybe they could, I guess, but um, I I do think that. Um, what I'm saying is if the state said you can't you can't have any more than this, the SEC can't say forget that. You can just <laughs> you know, double that. But uh, I'm pretty sure that there was the expectation of social distancing and masks. And so they can you – know, the SEC could penalize the University of Georgia or something like that for some mm-hmm. – you know. I mean we saw NFL coaches getting fined $100,000 for yeah. not wearing masks on the sideline. That's crazy. A hundred grand. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and w- with the further threat of if this doesn't change, r- we'll consider taking draft picks from your franchise. Wow. The NFL is not messing around. No, they're not. No, they're not. Speaking wow. of not messing around, it's time to get to our main topic wow. for the day. Wow, what a transition. I am a trained broadcast professional. <laughs> so, All right. Well, Doc, what is our main topic today? What are we talking about? We're going to talk about reading fiction. Yeah, fits totally with the cultural narrative right now. Yeah, right? absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, so um, 
you know, both of us have, uh, I, I think, grown in our appreciation for reading fiction as we've gotten older. Did Is that you, fair to say? Yeah, I think I think so. Did you grow up reading much fiction as a as a child and young adult? I I was a big reader. I've been a a reader my entire life. Um, I would say up through up through junior high, I did a lot of um, sort of leisure reading in uh, in the genre of fantasy and science fiction. And then you get into high school and you start to get more requirements where you're reading fiction sure. for for classes. And that can either be done well or that can be done poorly mm-hmm. in terms of a teacher. You know, a teacher can either enhance your interest in or just bore you to tears talking about what's in a in a in a piece of fiction. So um that was that was my experience. And I probably didn't even really come back to reading fiction until with any consistency until after I finished after I finished my PhD. Really? Yeah. So from from outside of the required things in high school, junior mm-hmm. high to to finish with the PhD. Didn't read a lot of fiction then. Really? I I still was reading a lot, but I I switched over almost exclusively to nonfiction. So um was it the was it I mean you alluded to the potential for a poor high school teacher who draws you away from fiction was that was that the reason for you, or was it more just you discovered good nonfiction and, and ran towards it? I think it was probably more an interest in finding good nonfiction okay. and feeding my mind. Hmm. That that those were the you know that was sort of the window where my interest in uh, in theology and the Bible really began to bloom, and so I just dove head first into reading in those areas. Hmm. So that that kind of put the, the the fiction reading on hold. And then of course, once you, once you get into a PhD program, leisure reading is is a is a dream. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean any you know during my during my PhD days, I was reading probably at, at varying levels around 1000 pages a week between oh, wow. journal articles and <laughs> monographs and and that sort of stuff and so I'm sorry but at the end of the day my my eyeballs and my brain were like no more please <laughs> no more um so I I I wasn't really able to pick that back up till after I finished my PhD and any any listeners out there that are like well maybe I'd like to do a PhD you just heard that one nope no thank you <laughs> That takes a special form of masochism to want to do it. That's for sure. But um, what about you? Tell me about your uh, your experience with reading fiction. Did, were you a reader when you were growing up? When did you kind of come on come into reading fiction more? Yeah, I I think I read a little bit of fiction here and there um, throughout elementary, junior high, and certainly the required uh, things in high school. But I don't think I really. Thoroughly enjoyed it until mm-hmm. probably post seminary. Um, so I, I began to pick up uh, several different uh, books in the fiction category once I once yeah. I once I graduated college. Certainly, probably even post seminary. Okay, um, and a number of them were be- because I, I picked up an Audible subscription and started listening to audiobooks, uh, which has been uh, a great blessing mm-hmm. to me in being able to read some of, some of the classics even. So 
Yeah. That, that's that's where I really picked it up. And it, my brothers were both big readers in the and mostly in the fantasy and science fiction, and and they really love that. And mm-hmm. I, I was just like, I'd rather go play sports or go go yeah. do X, Y, or Z, and, and was a little bit more active. And to come come around to it later um, later in life. Okay, so why is it that you think um, there are certainly a a number of Christians. I, I I don't have statistics to put a number to it, but there's a segment I think of of believers who do not read fiction. Who might other who who might otherwise read? In other words, that they that they read nonfiction books. They sure. read you know Christian life books. They read devotional materials. They might um, you know read those sorts of things, but they don't read fiction. Why do you think that is? Or what are some of the reasons? Yeah. I mean, instead of saying the definitive yeah, reason. Yeah, and and I don't I don't know. Um, my my guess would be is like there's there's a minimum amount of time in the day. You want to get some reading in, and you want it to have uh, an expounding effect. So you you want it to both impact your your reading life as well as your spiritual life and, and your personal mm-hmm. life, and uh, be, be able to move all that forward. That, that's what most naturally comes to mind for me, mm-hmm. um, and it's it might be difficult to see how a fiction book would do that for you. What, what do you most naturally think of? Well, I think that um, – I do think that that's a big piece of it. I, I would say that um, there are a large number of Christians who unwittingly, I think, probably believe, whether they would articulate this or not, that um, that fiction is really only entertainment, hmm. and that there's not necessarily a lot of potential spiritual value to reading fiction. Hmm. That nonfiction is the um, it's the direct. You know, it's like well, I can read a book if I'm interested in prayer. I can go find lots of books on prayer sure. on how to pray better, how to pray more consistently, how to pray scripture. Uh, all these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And you can read it and you can say, okay, I can try to apply what I think was helpful and and move on. Uh, stories don't tend to work that way on the surface. Mm-hmm. Fiction doesn't tend to have as um, have as much of an immediate and obvious sort of low-hanging, therefore now go and be like this or do this kind of effect. And I think that um, for for at least some Christians, they they want that in whatever they read. And if they're if they're not going to go the fiction route or the nonfiction route, they they often probably prefer just to watch television or yeah. you know watch a movie or something mm-hmm. for that sort of story component. So so what what does reading fiction do? Uh, at, at the end of the day, for for your soul personally, like like when you when you think about, my goodness, I'm picking up. Um, I imagine you've read through Lord of the Rings more than once. What what is it doing for your soul in the, in the midst of that? Well, I think that um, the one of the primary things it does is it stirs the imagination, mm-hmm. and I think that for a lot of Christians, the imagination is an underdeveloped faculty hmm. that. When it comes to our imagination, we can feel a little bit limited or, quite frankly, we might not think it's all that important. We think, oh, well, the people that it matters for 
are like the creative and the artistic types. Sure. They need to have a, a big imagination. But me, I'm an engineer. I'm a, you know, uh, I'm a data specialist. I pro, you know, like the the people who might be a little bit more like that might not as immediately think that it matters that mm. their imagination is stretched and grown. And I would say to you that part of the way that uh, our affections for Christ are stirred are through the imagination. Hmm. That that part of what fiction does is it gives us – it expands our imagination with some categories and with some themes and some motifs and with some stories and narratives that God can then use to stir our affections for him in fresh ways. Hmm. And I think once you – once you have your eyes open to that, you begin to see it in different um, stories that you read in, 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 in fiction. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, could, you, could you name just a, just a couple of ways you've, you've seen that as you've read fiction? Like, like some, some concrete examples, maybe Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, what, what sure. have you? Um, I think that uh, – I mean in some ways the, the, the low-hanging fruit – um, would be Lord of the Rings, having read through it several times, um, and 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 finding that you know each time I go through, I, I see different things. I and and sometimes I'll even read with a specific lens in view and thinking, for example, um, how much um, you know friendship is not the main theme of Lord of the Rings. But man, is it an important uh, supporting yeah, it's theme? It's certainly in there. Yeah, and um, and how much uh, you know that that has even opened my eyes to the importance of pursuing and maintaining good friendships mm-hmm. and the importance of community, and how that can uh, sustain and shape my life. Hmm. That that reading fiction can can reinforce those things and give fresh illustrations in another sort of universe that I think I'd like that. I want that. Or I have that. Wow, I'm so grateful I have that. Mm-hmm. So what about you? Um, as you? As you've read fiction, what are some ways that it has had an impact on you in particular maybe in the spiritual realm? Yeah, I, I don't know how to how – to necessarily describe this so, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do my do my best mm-hmm. um, but uh, uh, f- for instance I, I started a new class this morning that I was teaching exploring the Bible and one of the questions I always ask my students when they show up to that class is what, what's your favorite story yeah. um, what what story have you because we're talking about the meta narrative of scripture and, and those different things um, and and anytime someone names a book, that I recognize there's just like this fire that's lit a little bit inside of me <laughs> that, yeah. that, ah, we have, we either have a uh, similar interest or mm-hmm. I can identify with you based on this story. It um, reignites the imagination in me um, and reengages it and takes me back to a time when I, when I came across um, 1984 for the first time, it was trying to imagine a world where that was happening or, the first time I read, and now we live there. And now we live there. Um, <laughs> actually, I think I'd make the argument we live in a mix of 1984, Brave, Brave New, New World. world yeah. um, <clears throat> but uh, same thing with Brave New World. Uh, just the first time I read that, you know, w- w- working my way through it. 
Um, somebody in the class this morning mentioned of mice and men. And, oh, uh, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, and I just went, oh, that's so good. Um, also and, on the theme of friendship in particular. Yeah, though, yeah. and uh, and um, I feel that way when I reread Harry Potter um, mm-hmm. every now and then, and and uh, he, watching their friendship grow yep. uh, through that does make me long for a time when when I had those neighborhood of kids sort of friendships going yeah. on. Th- those were special times and uh, bring, brings joy uh, to me in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, we've mentioned a few, but um, are there any other that we ha- other uh, novels or examples of fiction that that come to mind that you have just <laughs> greatly enjoyed? Somebody stepped into the vault. <laughs> that was a little creepy. It was a little terrifying, um, but they've they've stepped out. <laughs> um, I, I didn't have anybody down as a guest appearance yeah, on the on the yeah. pod. Did you? <laughs> yeah, his uh, he he was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, he realized what was going on pretty quickly. <laughs> so anyway, I was asking, man. We've mentioned Lord of the Rings. We've mentioned Harry Potter. Any other um, examples of some fiction that you have found? Um, we also mentioned Of Mice and Men. Uh, any other examples of fiction that you have found to be especially meaningful, enjoyable, significant in your life? Yeah, I'm now pulling up my Audible app to see to see what I have in there. Um, um, there was a there was an interesting book. I mentioned it on the podcast. Uh, now, I, I would say the ones we've mentioned already were probably the most formative. They, they were okay. like classics that were really, really good that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, these are less formative but interesting nonetheless. Uh, the Circle um, hmm. by uh, by Dave Eggers. Hmm. Um, the Circle is a social media company in Silicon Valley. Oh, that, you did mention that. Yeah, yeah. That uh, basically uh, uh, one of the things they postulate is um, – is uh, is privacy is is uh, privacy is selfish. Privacy is a crime, basically, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's that's fascinating. Um, another one that I've enjoyed recently has been Murder on the Orient Express by okay. Agatha Christie. Yeah, um, so good. <laughs> um, so that I've listened to that one two or three times through in the last year um, yeah. over the pandemic. That's been that's been a joy. Uh, what what about what about you? Yeah, so I'm going to mention um, a couple. Uh, we've already mentioned Of Mice and Men, John Steinbeck. I also enjoyed his East of Eden. That's a little bit of a longer slog, but he is the master of description, mm. just the master of it. Uh, at times, almost too much, but in any case, very enjoyable. And then I'd mention um, two books by Leo Tolstoy, one which is better known, uh, Crime and Punishment. Sure. I've, I haven't read either of these. I've never oh, read Tolstoy. Oh. Yeah. Crime and Punishment is a great story of how um, the sort of internal guilt of committing a crime that you've essentially gotten away with just hmm. eats away at, at this man. Fascinating. And then the other one, really short, like less than 100 pages short, so it's almost closer to a short story, is a book called The Death of Ivan Illich hmm. where this man is reflecting upon death and the um, – on his – uh, on his seemingly pathetic life as he's approaching the end, realizing I've, I've wasted my life. Hmm. So it's it's not a pick-me-up, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's a sobering reminder of 
uh, what matters in life hmm. and what doesn't. So, and and that's really, I think that when it comes to fiction, fiction can can paint in vivid colors a propositional truth and make it land in your mind and in your heart in ways that just the bare propositional truth can't. So, you know, you sure, can you sure. can say these are the things that matter in life. Mm-hmm. Relationships and 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 making a difference in those sorts of things, not wealth or power or status or those kinds of things. But it's so much more powerful to see it portrayed in a person's life and go, "Oh my gosh, that is a vivid picture of how empty and meaningless these things that the world places so much importance on that at the end of the day, from an eternal perspective, they don't matter nearly as much as these other simpler, more profound realities. Yeah, and, and I, I I think that's true for the, the rest of life as well. Like trying to convince somebody of something, you're not going to do it through propositional argument. You're, you're going to do it through sharing stories and, and talking about those truths in in story form. And, and that's how – that's – how you communicate those things. Yeah, I think that um, you know another benefit of reading of reading fiction is that um, it can vividly portray and contrast uh, different character traits. Hmm. You know, so you can talk about patience or what it means to be long suffering. But there's a different feel when you see it described in a narrative form and portrayed within a context mm-hmm. um, that I think can 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 pull that out as well as the the flip side of negative characteristics, you know, of of a negative uh, characteristic where you see it and all of its effects sort of spill mm-hmm. out and and you can see as a as a way of what is it what does it look like to um, you know, as Christians, for us to think, what does it look like to live a godly life, a life that is marked by the fruit of the Spirit, by Christian virtue? And and I think oftentimes we, we need lived out examples mm-hmm. because even the Bible itself uh, has its – you know, it has propositional truth, but then it also has uh, stories that show us what – what good character looks like, what godly character looks like, and what it doesn't. And sometimes even within the same individual life, you, yes. know, you look at the life of David sure, and you're like, yeah. wow, there are these great moments of of courage and humility and then these moments of what are you thinking? What a disastrously dumb and awful decision you just made there. And then you stop and think, yeah, that's kind of a picture of my life at <laughs> yeah, a smaller yeah, scale. I was, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> yep, that's every one of us. Yeah. You know, moments of good, of <clears throat> good, certainly good moments, but also moments of just awfulness. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I, I think those are some of the benefits that I've I've experienced from from reading fiction. Um, I, I did have a question for you though. I I have a pr- more of a challenge um, when it comes to listening to fiction. I find that I I just that is difficult for me to do I think in terms of like I've listened to audiobooks that are more on the nonfiction side of things um and even when I listen to podcasts I like a lot of true crime podcast sure. kind of stuff which obviously has narrative elements in it but I just find for me personally listening to fiction 
that for some reason it's easier for my mind to wander. And then I'm like, oh, whoops, I just <laughs> lost the last four minutes and I don't know what happened. And then, you know, you know, rewinding to go back sure. and say, oh, what happened there? I don't know. Well, what is your experience? I, I just find it a lot easier to read and keep the focus if I'm reading it on a page, not listening to it. Yeah, if and I, I think I agree. I go through the same thing, uh, but I, I find myself doing regularly tasks that, goodness, are a little mundane. Or you know, whether it's in the winter shoveling the snow, or yeah. in the in the spring and summer uh, uh, mowing the grass or watering the grass, um, that I need something to to focus on in the midst of of of. Uh, doing something that's relatively mundane. Right. Um, and sometimes I end up in my neighbor's yard with the lawnmower and that's, that's you know, that's just okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, back to our earlier comment about, uh, about teachers. I do think that literature teachers in junior high and high school have a, an especially strategic opportunity to mm-hmm. whet people's appetites for reading literature by how they talk about it. And I think that, um, you know, when it comes to being able to do biblical integration, there are a few disciplines more naturally um, susceptible to, uh, to biblical integration than, I would say, teaching literature. Because you've got all of – you've got stories and e- even within non-Christian work, there, there are so many sort of – larger biblical themes and motifs sure. that provide you with opportunities to talk about uh, as a starting point for um, you know, growth in godliness, what does it look like to, to live as a Christian, those kinds of realities, and even just displaying um, you know, the, the awfulness of sin. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you don't need a Christian book to do that. <laughs> There's plenty of literature that you can read and go, wow, the effects of sin are awful, disastrous. Well, and and for for those of for those out there that are listening that that preach and teach regularly, um, it'll give you so many so many examples, illustrations um, that you're able to employ in your preaching and your teaching, and may get you to connect with people in your church that you weren't previously able to connect with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that um, you know I would want to encourage pastors and preachers to. Probably stretch beyond their their stock of uh, of Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. and Harry Potter illustrations. Those can be helpful and good, but if you're sure. if you're you know dropping those every other week, people are going to be like, "Does this guy know anything else? <laughs> <laughs> Does he read anything else? Does he watch anything else?" But uh, in any case. Um, or uh, we haven't even mentioned this, but I feel like preachers always go to the well of Chronicles of Narnia to, yeah, ma- to make illustrations. That's true. That's another one. Yep. Yeah. 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 Always to the always to the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there are also certain certain movies that often get uh, get pulled upon, like Braveheart. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like you know Braveheart's going to be tapped on quite a bit. In any case, let's talk about some resources. Okay. I think that if if you're a person who's like. I, I'm not convinced at the value of reading fiction for my life as a Christian or as a Christian leader. The place I would start would be with Karen Swallow Pryor's excellent book called On Reading Well, 
Finding the Good Life Through Great Books. And she goes through, and she, after her introductory chapter, has um, a total of, I think it's, let's see, 11 here maybe? No, 12. Uh, 12 different virtues that she uh, identifies and then picks a, a novel that exemplifies hmm. that virtue. And so, for example, um, you know, she's got um, a list here in the, in the table of contents here. So under Hope, she has The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Are you familiar with this book? I have not read that book. But no. you've heard of it. I haven't even heard of it. I don't really. No. Okay. It's, and I have I have KSP's book on my shelf, but I, ha- I have not read it yet. It's a modern day – so this, this came out in the last 10 years. Okay. It's a post-apocalyptic setting where this uh, man and his son are wandering about this post-apocalyptic context um, just trying to survive. Hmm. And um, – it's very, very moving. So she's got you know modern novels like that, and then she's got for um, for Temperance, she's got The Great Gatsby. Hmm. Have you read The Great Gatsby? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That, that's a fascinating story. And then because we're talking about this book, I have to mention this. I well, I was waiting for it. I'm surprised yeah. you've taken this long yeah. to, to Under, mention it. <laughs> un- so little podcast story. I'll keep it. I'll keep it brief. So when when Pryor was when she was writing this book, she came here to speak at Grace, and she was uh, we had dinner with her, uh, a group of us faculty, and and because my wife was a big fan of her writing, my wife joined us, and and Karen was talking about, um, you know the different virtues, and she said, um, I I'm trying to think of a of a of a book or a novel to capture diligence. Hmm. And my wife says, well, you need to do Pilgrim's Progress, which is my wife's favorite book outside of the Bible. And, um, and so as a result, at least in part of my wife's suggestion, she chose Pilgrim's Progress and even sent my wife a early draft of the chapter to get some thoughts on And I on think that. gave gave your wife a shout out. Yeah, she's in, mentioned in the, the acknowledgments somewhere. there. Yeah. So that was, that, was a, that was a fun little thing. But – in any case, um, we've got a couple other recommendations, but we probably should move on. I think we're sure. running running short on time here. Um, but uh, we can throw them in the show notes. We'll do that because the links are here. Yeah. So yeah, look absolutely. in the show notes. We, I, I have one to add for uh, – I have one to add later. But anyway, okay. go ahead. Great. Um, this is episode 40, and so we need an athlete, John. Okay. So let's run down our list here. Um and then I'll let you do the, as per usual, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Yeah. Um, Gail Sayers wore 40, uh, leg- legendary running back, uh, uh, Chicago Bears. Yep. Um, quite good. Uh, the Kansas Comet, I believe, was his nickname. Really? Coming, because he went to the University of Kansas. Hmm. And uh, uh, died recently. Yeah, last month. Yeah. Um, uh, Sean Kemp as well. Best, Freakish athlete, best in-game dunker. I'm willing to. I'm willing to say certainly up there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Rick Sutcliffe. Uh, you remember him? I do not remember Rick Sutcliffe. I've definitely recognized the name, but I do 80s, not remember him. 80s pitcher. Okay, had a very um, unique delivery where he kind of paused in mid in mid delivery. That was very distinctive. 
Okay. So, had a great beard as well. Okay. I'm sure it was very confusing for hitters as well. Yeah. Um, and who do you got for your uh, your beloved Bucks? Well, for the Buckeyes, we've got – really, there's only one choice here. Um, Howard Hopalong Cassidy. It's a great nickname. Yeah. He was a legend for the Buckeyes running back from 1952 to 1955, was part of their national championship team in 1954, and won the Heisman Trophy in 1955. Nice. A, a true Buckeye legend. Yeah. Who do you like? Yeah. So um, – I I like I I really like Gail Sayers for the historical significance. Sure. Um, part of what made him unique was he was a um, he had a, a great relationship with his roommate Brian Piccolo, and he uh, Gail Sayers was was an African American player. Brian Piccolo was a white player, and from what I understand, I think they were the first uh, interracial roommates. At Ohio State or no, in the country? No, on the Bears. Oh, on the Bears. I think okay. in the NFL maybe. Okay. And so there's – and then when Brian Piccolo contracted cancer and died at a young age, that story was memorialized in the classic movie, um, Brian's Song. Hmm. However, Sean Kemp also has a local connection here as well. He's from Elkhart, Indiana. He is from Elkhart, Indiana. Went to Concord High School and was just a freakish dunker. And he was fun to watch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, who you I'm, got? Who you got? Uh, Sean Kemp. Okay, yeah. we'll go Sean Kemp. Yeah, go 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 Homer here. You know. Okay. All right. So one thing we liked. I'll I'll start us off. Um, so we all know social media can be a, a, a dumpster fire. A Absolutely. Cesspool. What? But I, I, I want to give an example of how actually of how it can work at its best. So this past weekend, we uh, I, I put up a. A Facebook post about needing to help our son John find a place to live in Indianapolis. He's yeah, moving down there to uh, to start a job in a couple weeks, and had done some initial looking, but weren't, wasn't really finding anything. And so I put up a Facebook post on Saturday, and the larger network of people that God has brought into our lives and sort of connections of connections of connections. By the end of the day, we had a great lead and then yesterday followed up on that lead and he has found a phenomenal place to live. Sweet. So I, I just I wanted to give a positive example of how social media can work at its best, where people in an extended form of community can come together and encourage and help one another. So that was my one thing I liked this week. Um well that's awesome. And when does he move down to uh, the Indianapolis area? A couple of weeks here. Okay. Okay. Well, actually, he's going to move down. Sorry, he's going to move down in a week. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. If you listen to this podcast, you might be excited that uh, <laughs> <laughs> he got a shout out. But <laughs> um, my my one thing is uh, I got a delivery of dirt uh, to my house this week because Indiana has a lot of clay, and growing gla- grass and clay does not go well. Um, so I covered my yard in dirt this week. Topsoil? Um, like what are, we, what are we talking here? Um, it's like a topsoil mix okay. uh, with, with um, a lot of nutrients for grass growing purposes. Um, and uh, the dirt itself is not the one thing I like. The, the thing I liked is the uh, multiple uh, friends and neighbors who showed up to help me nice. shovel the dirt into okay. wheelbarrows. And it, it was – I started at 730 in the morning and I went inside at 7 p.m. So it, it took wow. – 
it was an all-day process, and my whole body is sore, but it was it was lovely. <laughs> um, one funny story that did come out of the dirt pile um, is that uh, got it delivered Friday. It was on the street, yep. and I sent a message to our neighborhood saying, hey, there is a giant dirt pile in front of our house. Sorry for any inconvenience. It'll be gone Saturday. And everybody liked it, laughed about it, whatever. Well, one of my neighbors um, either didn't see my message or had forgotten about it, drove into the dirt pile uh, with her car <laughs> at 9 p.m. Luckily, her, the car, everything was fine. Um, however, one of our neighbors caught it on his uh, video camera. Of course. Um, or it was a ring doorbell situation <laughs> or, or something like that. And uh, and uh, we all got to watch it, and it was being passed around the neighborhood. It was quite funny. <laughs> oh, gosh. Have you actually talked with the neighbor who ran over your dirt pile? I talked to uh, her husband. Okay. And uh, I said – How's your wife? And he just goes, she, she's fine. She's laughing about okay, it. Okay, good, good, yeah. good, good, good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the neighborhood drama. Yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> In any case, well, um, I, I think we probably need to, to call mission accomplished here. We're, we're dangerously close to the 50-minute mark, and that's, yeah. that's, that's probably not where we should be. I agree, yeah. I mean, this was a groundbreaking episode, though. Over the hill? Over the hill, and our first unscheduled guest appearance by somebody by an interruption. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was really unsettling. <laughs> it was well, the door started to open. It was like, yeah, jun, 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 jun. yeah. Oh, no. Again, recording from inside the vault. Apparently, we need to make the "do not disturb" sign a little bigger. And the sign's out there. Yeah, I, I had it out there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, in any case. I'm willing to say mission accomplished if you are. You good? Yes. Okay. All right. So until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.